European Heart Journal Case Reports 2020 podcast. I am Tom Slater, podcast editor. Today, I will be discussing a case report by Dr. Helen Saunders, Dr. Abdul Wahab Al-Khalifa, Dr. Angel Espinosa, and Dr. Manish Jain from Mohammed bin Khalifa bin Salman Al-Khalifa Cardiac Center, Bahrain, entitled Massive Pulmonary Embolism and Thrombus in Transit, Virapated Foramen Ovale, a case report of successful use of ECMO to manage post-embolectomy severe right ventricular dysfunction. Pulmonary embolism with thrombus in transit through a patent foramen ovale is a rare event. It may present with neurological sequelae and rapid diagnosis is required to prevent significant mortality and morbidity. This case report details a case in which thrombus in transit through a patent foramen ovale into the left atrium was initially identified on echocardiography with subsequent requirement for surgical embolectomy and extracorporeal membrane oxygen support. A 32-year-old male presented with sudden onset shortness of breath, syncope and chest pain of several hours duration, having developed flu-like symptoms a few days previously. He had intellectual disability owing to developmental delay, which led him to a sedentary housebound lifestyle. His only comorbidity was previously diagnosed hypertension with no regular medications at the time of presentation. The patient was tachycardic, hypotensive and hypoxic with oxygen saturations of 92% on room air. Chest auscultation was clear and heart sounds were normal. His urea and creatinine were mildly elevated and his hematocrit was high, suggesting a picture of dehydration. D-dimer and troponin were elevated and electrocardiogram showed T-wave inversions in lead 2, 3 and AVF, suggestive of right ventricular strain. Transthoracic echocardiography showed a dilated right ventricle with a mobile thrombus in the right atrium and right ventricle, which was also passing through the PFO into the left atrium. The patient was resuscitated as per ESC guidelines. Due to hemodynamic instability and the presence of thrombus in transit, the patient was transferred urgently to theatre for emergency pulmonary embolectomy. Pre-bypass transesophageal echocardiography confirmed the findings of extensive clot in the right atrium, right ventricle and passing through the PFO to the left atrium. There were classical findings of a D-shaped septum pushed towards the left ventricle. The tricuspid valve had severe regurgitation. During surgery, fresh clots were noted in the pulmonary tree, right atrium, left atrium and right ventricle. All clots were removed, the PFO was closed by bovine pericardial patch and a tricuspid valve annulplasty was performed. Epinephrine infusion was commenced, however severe right ventricular dysfunction persisted and caused difficulty in separating from cardiopulmonary bypass. Hence, central extracorporeal membrane oxygenation was initiated and the patient was moved to intensive care. Initially, the patient remained in a critical state of ICU with full ECMO support. He was commenced on haemofiltration and continued the epinephrine infusion. His ventricular function was monitored with daily echocardiograms and his RV function was initially severely impaired, but it improved each day. He was commenced on intravenous sildenafil for pulmonary vasodilation and after six days, right ventricular function had improved and the patient was weaned off ECMO. He remained critical on ICU for some time, complicated by sepsis, acute kidney injury and critical illness neuropathy. Aggressive supportive care continued. His respiratory function stabilised and a percutaneous tracheostomy was performed on post-operative day 20. He was successfully weaned from the ventilator on post-operative day 28. He was initially fully anticoagulated on IV heparin before being converted to lifelong warfarin. The IV sildenafil was converted to oral sildenafil which was continued for three months. His recovery was further complicated by an episode of hematemesis 
and endoscopy revealed an old traumatic ulcer which was clipped. After this, he rapidly improved. His tracheostomy tube was removed on day 37, and he was discharged home 43 days post-operatively. During his admission, he was reviewed by respiratory, haematology and rheumatology teams to investigate underlying causes of prothrombosis, anti-nuclear antibodies, factor V Leiden mutations, anti-cardiolipin, double-stranded DNA antibodies and beta-2 glycoprotein 1 antibodies were all negative. There was no evidence to suggest Bechet's disease and no evidence of underlying malignancy was found. A follow-up outpatient echo six weeks after discharge showed complete normalisation of RV function and the patient is now fully recovered and back to everyday activities. I would now like to discuss the content of this case in more detail. Venous thromboembolism, clinically presenting as a deep venous thrombosis or pulmonary embolism, is globally the third most frequent acute cardiovascular syndrome behind myocardial infarction and stroke. Although there was no evidence of acute ischemia on the brain CT of this patient, he presented with a seizure and syncope which may have been caused by low cardiac output or possibly a transient ischemic attack given the witness thrombus in transit. Many patients present with non-specific signs of a PE and in up to 40% of cases no predisposing factors are present. The only predisposing factors in this patient were a sedentary lifestyle and evidence of dehydration. A patent frame in Avali increases the risk of ischemic stroke due to paradoxical embolism in patients with acute PE and RV dysfunction. Thrombus in transit is an uncommon phenomenon that requires a high level of clinical suspicion to make a diagnosis. In acute pulmonary embolism, elevated right-sided pressures and systemic hypotension can cause an acute right-to-left shunt across a PFO, promoting embolic passage across the defect. Factors associated with a high risk of mortality in PE include symptoms and signs of overt right ventricular failure, hemodynamic instability, syncope, right heart thrombus, and PFO with right-to-left shunt all of which are present in this patient. Other markers associated with poor outcome are increased lactate, troponin and creatinine, all of which were again mildly elevated in this patient. The concomitant presence of right heart thrombus and pulmonary embolism is an emergency situation as mortality rate is increased beyond PE alone. ESC guideline recommendations are based on severity of patient condition and in this high risk patient, the initial treatment guidelines were followed, i.e administering supplemental oxygen, initiate anticoagulation as soon as possible, use a fluid bolus for resuscitation, and consideration of vasopressors. Treatment options include surgical thrombectomy of the right atrium or the pulmonary artery, and or medical therapy such as thrombolysis and anticoagulation. Surgical embolectomy is usually preferred for patients with free-floating ventricular thrombus. In this case, the risk of thrombolysis in the presence of left atrial floating thrombus was prohibitive, and the clinical decision was made rapidly to proceed to surgery. Caution on induction of anaesthesia is imperative as the patient is highly susceptible to development of severe cardiac instability. This patient was induced in theatre with surgeons present, but fortunately remained relatively cardiovascularly stable with fluid and vasopressor therapy. Surgical embolectomy in acute PE is usually carried out with cardiopulmonary bypass without aortic cross-clamping and cardioplegic cardiac arrest followed by incision of the two main pulmonary arteries with the removal or suction of fresh clots. Recent reports have indicated favourable surgical outcomes in high-risk PE with or without cardiac arrest and in selected cases of intermediate-risk PE. Acute severe right ventricular failure is associated with a high mortality of up to 86% and therapeutic aims are to optimise the preload, reduce the afterload and improve the contractility. Epinephrine is a first-line therapy for this 
and inhaled nitric oxide may be used as a pulmonary vasodilator, although evidence of mortality benefit is lacking. When these measures are not sufficient, early mechanical support may reduce complications from hypotension and low cardiac output. The temporary use of mechanical cardiopulmonary support, mostly via venoarterial ECMO, may be helpful in patients with high-risk PE. Survival of critically ill patients has been described in a number of case series. Preoperative ECMO has also been used successfully in patients who are in cardiogenic shock prior to transfer to the operating theatre. I would like to conclude this podcast with the following learning points suggested by the authors. A high index of suspicion is needed to detect pulmonary embolism in a young patient. Thrombus in transit through a patent frame of Avali is rare, and early diagnosis is vital, as it may present with neurological sequelae. Surgical management may be complicated, and severe right ventricular dysfunction may require mechanical circulatory support. And finally, ESC guidelines aid decision-making regarding diagnosis of severity and management of pulmonary embolism. Thank you to the authors of this case report for highlighting this extremely interesting case for us. And thank you for listening to European Heart Journal Case Reports podcasts. References in the original case reports are available online. Visit academic.oup.com forward slash EHJCR for other interesting case reports. Music is Computer by State Shirt.